Happy New Year, church. I hope you're having a great New Year so far. I hope you're keeping those New Year's resolutions. For a lot of us, I know we've made financial goals this year. Maybe it's to pay off debt or save more or spend better or give more. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, I want to tell you about a really cool class we have coming up here at Grace, and it's Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. FPU is a nine-week video course that teaches you genuinely valuable ways to manage money biblically. And you may even make some great friends along the way. I can tell you that I took Financial Peace University a few years ago, and it fundamentally changed the way that I handle money. Now, we have classes coming up at all four of our locations. There's classes in January, February, and April, but space is limited in these classes. So make sure you go on our website and sign up for FPU today. Our core values at Grace are Christ, community, compassion, and calling. And that last one, calling, may need a little explanation. When we say calling, we're talking about gift-based, passion-filled ministry. We're talking about being everything that God created you to be, doing what you're good at, and doing it with passion or with gusto, as Pastor Rex says. Now, this is something that each of us should be pursuing in our everyday lives. And sometimes a door opens up to do church ministry as a vocation or as a job. Right now, we have several job openings on our staff team. And God may have you in mind as the person to fill one of those positions. It's worth a look. You can find out more about what's open and how you can apply at gracefellowship.com jobs. Great news from Grace Half Moon. Our crews were able to enclose the entire construction project before the winter weather got really bad. That means the walls are up on the Half Moon expansion. And we're excited to see how some of these classrooms and meeting spaces and office spaces are going to take shape on the inside now. It's going to be a great year at Grace Half Moon. And as far as our giving totals from 2017 go, we ended the year right over that $1.8 million mark. We're just a few hundred thousand dollars shy of $2 million in total gifts. Thank you for being so consistent in your giving to the 2020 Vision Campaign. Your faithfulness and generosity are an important part of how our church makes more and better disciples here in the Capital Region. You can find out more about the 2020 Vision Campaign by going to our website, and you can even see a live webcam view of the construction at Half Moon. Just go to gracefellowship.com 2020vision. And now I'm going to hand things off to Pastor Rex as we get into part one of this new series, Jesus the Incomparable Leader. That's great stuff. These are exciting updates, and we're really pumped in this new year about what God is really doing and that we can get in on that. Last Sunday afternoon, uh, New Year's Eve, 12 people, including five people from one New York family, were tragically killed in a um, plane crash in western Costa Rica. Authorities are citing extremely high winds as the probable cause for that crash. And naturally, there's been a a wonderful outpouring of prayer and compassion and interest from so many people across America toward those who've been impacted uh, by this loss. And you know, any accident like that is noteworthy. But it tends to get more attention if there's a little bit of mystery around it. One of the most mysterious and deadly plane crashes in aviation history 
happened in 1999. It was the crash of Egypt uh, Airlines 990 just off the coast of New York City. It plunged into the Atlantic Ocean. And the parts surrounding that incident indicate that there may have been a struggle in the cockpit of the plane for control. The flaps, the position they're in, as well as some of the comments on the recorder before the plane went down, seem to indicate that the co-pilot perhaps was deliberately putting the plane into a nosedive while the pilot of the plane, at the very same time, was trying to lift the plane back up. Now, if that is accurate, it's a sort of picture of what we as Christians experience every day of our lives. Jesus said there's a thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. And Satan comes to us deliberately to plunge us into despair and death, but Jesus wants to lift us into hope and into a great future. The question is, who's going to take control of our lives? Well, we come today to a passage in Luke chapter 4 where Jesus returned from the Jordan led by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 1 with me. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert. Now, sometimes we may imagine erroneously that Jesus just had no real struggle. I mean, after all, he was the Son of God. How could he struggle and how could he possibly identify with us? But Hebrews 4.15 gives some clarity on that. It says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all ways or all things as we are, yet without sin. So while Jesus was fully God, he was also fully man. He had the same kind of instincts and drives and needs that we have. But the difference is that he never once yielded to Satan's control. His character was completely faultless. There's a lot of talk about leadership today. And if you just peruse Amazon online and look at some of the books or go to any major bookstore, you'll see lots of books on leadership. I've read scores of them throughout my life on that topic. And I will tell you, I don't think I've ever read a leadership book that did not at some place either outright say or imply that character is the most important ingredient of a leader. Integrity is the most important thing. And Jesus was the greatest leader who ever lived. And yet even an enemy said of him, I find no fault in him. So for our study today, I want us to look at the leadership of Jesus in the coming weeks in this section we're in here in Luke's gospel. But today, I particularly want us to focus in on his character, his faultless character, and I hope we can learn from the experience of Christ how we can not only develop character, but, but be victorious in our struggle. 
Verse 1 again says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert. Satan attacked Jesus and sought to gain control of his life and his mission. Now let's just pause there and ask this question. Does that seem strange to you? I mean, you w- w- wouldn't you think that Jesus was maybe beyond this at this point? He'd just been baptized by John in the Jordan. The text here is very clear that not only was he full of the Holy Spirit, but he was led by the Spirit in what he was doing. And after all, he was fasting and praying. You can't get a more intensely spiritual activity than that, I suppose. So in other words, Jesus was precisely within the Father's will. He couldn't be any closer to God the Father. And yet, even at that, Satan came after him. How does that sound to you? What does that conjure up for you? Even during this four, all during this 40-year period, evidently the devil hounded him. And at the end of the passage today, verse 13, it says, when the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Now, here's what this says to me. We have many Christians in our congregation who are truly Christ-centered and very mature. But I want all of us to understand we will never get to a place in this Christian journey where we're beyond the temptation of Satan. Ever. No matter how mature you become. I used to think that if I was the right kind of Christian that surely I wouldn't have urges like I used to have. Surely I wouldn't have those really bad temptations. But I'm encouraged by what Paul says in Romans chapter 7 as he talks about his own internal struggle. He says, for in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Now, there's the greatest Christian Christ follower who's ever lived. And yet he's saying, look, there's a struggle going on in the cockpit of my life here. And there's different competing allegiances here vying for my commitment and my devotion. And the fact that Jesus was tempted should also tell us that temptation itself is not a sin. I often hear people that seem to have that understanding that, that the temptation itself is the sin. Temptation's not a sin. It's simply an indication that Satan is not in charge, but he sure would like to be. We also need to note here that while Satan came to Jesus personally, usually that's not going to happen with us. He's going to tempt us in other ways. He usually comes to us indirectly. Some of you like country music, I think. Like all great congregations, we have country music lovers, right? Amen? Yeah, some of you do. Well, remember that old country song, Somebody's Knocking, Should I Let Him In? Lord, it's the devil. Would you look at him? I've heard of him, but I never dreamed that he had blue eyes and blue jeans. Now, that's a really deep song right there. 
And in case you don't know, all the great theology is conveyed in the country songs, all right? You see, the devil never comes to us in a red suit with a pitchfork and horns and a pointed tail. That would be ridiculous. That's some comics rendering. No, the Bible says he is his most devious when he masquerades as an angel of light. That's how he can be so deceptive. So most of the time when we're tempted, it's not the devil personally, it's our own sin nature that finds the world attractive. Hitler was responsible for the death of over six million Jewish people. And yet most of those who were executed or died under his reign never even met Hitler personally. No. It was his agents. It was his influence. It was his policies and the repercussions of his philosophy that were responsible for the devastation. Satan is the source of evil, but he's not usually personally involved in our temptations. He cannot be omnipresent. He, he can only be one place at a time. So most of our temptation comes just from our own desires. I heard about a guy who made a New Year's resolution that he was going to actually make a vow to God that he would go on a diet and lose weight. And so on the first day back to work after the new year, his fellow employees were kind of shocked when they saw him walking in with a big old box of donuts. They said, man, what's going on? We thought you'd made a vow to God. That's what you said, that you were going to go on a diet and lose some weight. He said, well, I did, but God said it was okay. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, when I drive into work, I drive right by the bakery. And so I just prayed this morning, Lord, if it's your will that I not eat any donuts today, then, then don't let there be a parking space in front of the bakery. And wouldn't you know it, the fourth time around the block, there was a space right there. God's okay with it. James 1 says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted with evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. You see, Satan attacks us indirectly, but he attacked Jesus personally, but Jesus won the victory over each temptation. Verse 3, the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And so that we see a pattern here that Satan attacks our vulnerability. So I want us to consider here a few ways, a few ways that Satan not only tempted Jesus, but ways that we will experience that as well. You may change some of the details, but you'll find these same categories of temptation in your own life. First is the temptation for Jesus to put personal pleasure and comfort ahead of the Father's will. He's saying, Jesus, you're the Son of God? Well, prove it. Come on, do your first miracle. Turn one of these stones into a loaf of bread. You gotta be starving. 
But you've got the power to satisfy your own appetite. Now listen carefully, because this is going to shock some of you. God created pleasure. God created pleasure. It was his idea. And he wants us to properly enjoy the good things of this life. If you don't believe it, just read 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says he's given us all these good things for our enjoyment. But, but, the Father's will for Jesus in this season, in this period of time, was to fast and pray and get a solidified direction on the start of his public ministry. Now, maturity has been described as the ability to postpone pleasure. But Satan tempts us with immediate gratification. Don't wait until you're married to have sex. My goodness, go ahead and have it now. Don't wait until you earn a good reputation from your own performance. Look, lie on your resume. Make some things up. Don't let money earn interest the old-fashioned way and gradually and slowly. Go ahead and gamble with it. Do something radical. Somebody's got to win. It might as well be you. Turn this stone into bread, Jesus. Satisfy your hunger now. But Jesus refused to turn the control over to Satan. Verse 4, he answered, It is written, man does not live on bread alone. There's something more important than my appetite right now, Satan, and that is doing the Father's will. The Father has promised to supply my needs, and I'm going to wait for him to fulfill his promise. But trust me, church, you individually will have that temptation in all sorts of forms in your personal life. Second, Satan attacked Jesus with the temptation of power. Let's look here at verse 5 and following. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it's been given to me. By the way, that was not an empty or idle boast. Paul says clearly in his writings that Satan is the God of this world. So Satan was speaking truth in that statement. They've all been given to me and all of their splendor and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it'll all be yours. Think of that. Satan showed him all these kingdoms, the financial kingdom, the entertainment kingdom, the educational kingdom, the sports kingdom, the religious kingdom. The political kingdom. And Satan says, look, you know what? I control all of these. I've got my finger in every one of these kingdoms and I'm the God of this world. I can deliver them to you. And Satan says, now look, I can put you in charge real fast, Jesus, but you need to do this my way. What a temptation that must have been to be Lord somehow, but avoid the cross, all the pain exempted just for a momentary worship of Satan. And I will say to you, sir, I will say to you, ma'am, that if you want to have power in one of these kingdoms where Satan is truly at work 
and in control in this world, you will be tempted to sacrifice your conviction to move to the next level. Because you see, you'll be able to do so much good at that next level. And so the temptation will be, look, you can be promoted fast. Yeah, I know you're going to have to ignore your family and sacrifice them on the altar of success. But listen, I will advance you fast. Just worship me for a little while. You're in the educational kingdom? Oh, you could get promoted fast. Now you may have to compromise your worldview and your convictions and your values because that won't move you forward very fast. But if you'll just, just be quiet about that, oh, oh, the power you can have. You want to get promoted in the media? Just bow down and worship me a little bit. Twist the story. Exploit some people. Do some ads that you don't personally approve of, but look, that's the way the game is played. Just bow down and worship me, and you'll get there, believe me. Now, I hope you're listening carefully. Nothing is wrong with power and a desire for leadership. Legitimate power and a legitimate desire for leadership is actually praised in the Bible. Those who long for leadership legitimately in the church and want to have that kind of character and position to be able to help people, it's actually applauded in Scripture. That's a good thing. To use the gifts God has given you and the opportunities. And we certainly need good people in positions of influence. But listen, anyone desiring to be a leader in one of these kingdoms in Satan's domain needs to be alert to the strong temptation to exchange character for promotion. And it will happen to you. Jesus answered in verse 8, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. There's only one God, Satan. It's not you, and I'm going to take no shortcuts here. Then Satan approached him third with the temptation for popularity and prestige. Verse 9. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it's written... He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully and they will lift you up in their hands so that you'll not strike your foot against a stone. He's saying, look, Jesus, you go about this the Father's way and you take your time and you dabble in some miracles. Yeah, you'll get a handful of people. But oh, you want a real crowd? You want some instant power? You gotta get spectacular. So listen, it's about 100 feet down there from this pinnacle here on the temple. You jump down, and the Bible says, listen to Satan quote scripture, that his angels will take charge of you. You won't even stub your toe, dude. Do that a few times, and the masses will be thronging around you as their savior. Isn't it interesting, by the way, that Satan knew how to twist scripture? for his own purposes. And friend, are you listening to me? I'm so concerned that some people are so biblically illiterate, I'm not being negative, I'm just being real with you. Some people are so biblically illiterate that they're willing to follow anyone who holds a Bible up or quotes a few Bible verses. 
you can use Bible verses to just about it, justify anything if you take them out of context and twist them against God's intention. Beware of that. Be a student of the word. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of truth. Jesus answered in verse 12, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Yeah, sure, the angels would catch me, but that would be an inappropriate use of faith. That's not faith, that's presumption. And yet I see people today apparently under this same sort of illusion. They jump into a wrong relationship. They know it's wrong. They know it's outside of God's will. And yet they have the audacity to say, God, would you just bless this? And I know you'll forgive me. That's your job. But while you're forgiving me and making it all good, would you also work everything out for my good, please? Thank you very much. That's not faith. That's presumption. God, you said you'd supply all my needs now, so I'm just going to kind of sit back and watch TV for a year or two. I'm not going to worry much about applying myself or being diligent and using the gifts you gave me. Would you just supply? That's not faith, friend. That's presumption. And there is a big difference. Jesus is basically saying, look, faith in the Father is expressed in obedience, even if that obedience is not very dramatic. So Satan, I'll not be jumping off the temple pinnacle to impress anybody. And verse 13 says, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. What an amazing story this is about Jesus getting the victory. But the question is, how do we get it? And so as we go down home stretch here, I want to mention a few things we need to consider if we are going to regularly have victory over the temptations in our lives, how to win the victory. Number one, be inspired by the victory of Christ. I love Hebrews 2.18. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Now here's the deal. Satan would try to discourage you, Christian, and tell you, you just can't win. You're just going to be a loser. But Jesus here met Satan head on and defeated him time after time, and we can too. Auburn has usually been a football power, and some years ago when Suge Jordan was the coach of Auburn, he called a, a former player, Mike Kalan, to come and do some recruiting for him, okay? And uh, Mike Kalan said, well, Coach Jordan, what kind of football player are we looking for as we recruit? And Coach Jordan said, well, Mike, it's a good question, but you know, there's a kind of football player out there that you knock him down, he doesn't get up. You know what I mean? And Mike said, oh yeah, I know, we don't want that player, do Oh no, we don't want that. And then Coach Jordan said, now, but Mike, there's a kind of football player out there, you knock him down, he gets back up. But you knock him down again and he doesn't get up. And Mike said, we don't want that player either, do we, Coach? And Coach Jordan said, now, Mike, you need to understand that there's a kind of football player out there. You knock him down, he gets back up. 
You knock him down, he gets back up. You knock him down again, he gets back up. And Mike said, I got it. That's the player we want, right, coach? Coach said, no, we want the guy who's knocking everybody down. <laughs> Christian, we have in the church tried to make everybody understand that any sin can be forgiven. God's grace is amazing. It's so wonderful. Get back up when you get knocked down. His grace is greater than all of our sins. And listen, all of that is absolutely true. But our job is not just to get back up when we got knocked down. Our goal is to quit getting knocked down all the time. And we can be inspired by the example of Jesus here who won this victory as fully human, filled with the Holy Spirit. Consider these amazing verses, James 4. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Galatians 5. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Romans 6. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. 1 John 5, verse 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. So let's be encouraged by the example of Christ and say, look, I'm going to make it my goal not to get knocked down all the time. And that's a worthy goal. Secondly, understand the lethal consequences of sin. You see, Jesus knew when he's being tempted in the wilderness that the salvation of the world hung in the balance. And we, likewise, need to understand that sin has lethal consequences that crash of Egypt Air flight 990 off the coast of New York City it has been surmised through all the investigations it has been concluded that this co-pilot was trying to deliberately take the plane down in a sort of dramatic suicide but if that is true it only compounds the tragedy because he took 217 people down with him. And we need to understand that when we turn the control over to Satan, it not only takes us down, but it sets in motion these consequences that sometimes go to the third and the fourth generation. I mean, sin has consequences. It splits marriages and it, threatens your health and it undermines your influence and it ruins your children and it alienates your friends and it robs your resources and it ruins your character. It's not just a little deal. It's a, it's a big deal. The thief does come to steal and kill and, and destroy. They're major consequences. Third, I think it's important as we think about getting this victory as Jesus did to know and use the word of God. That's one of the key things Jesus did. You'll note that every time, to every temptation, he had scripture that he had memorized as a young man, no doubt. It all happens to be from the book of Deuteronomy. 
every verse he quoted, and he brought that as the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 11 reads, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And the word of God planted in your mind and heart, memorized, meditated on, so that God can bring it back to you at just the right time is a powerful thing. Psalm 119, verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? Chuck Swindoll shared the true story that happened Years ago, when he was a much younger man, he had just finished a seminar in Canada, and everybody had already left the hotel and had gone back to their homes, and he, uh, he was just exhausted and was spending one more night, was going to fly out the next day back home. And he had a, a kind of a quiet meal, meal in the hotel restaurant, and he said then when he went to get on the elevator, he said two attractive young women followed him on to the elevator and he tried to be polite and he said, what floor please? He was just gonna punch the floor number for them. And they said, well, whatever floor you're getting off will, on will be fine. And he said, uh, they said this in such a sultry way, it's obvious that they had something in mind. And he said, I was flattered because they were so much younger and no one had ever accused him of looking like Robert Redford. But he said all the way as the elevator was going up to his floor, he said what filled his mind wasn't his church. It wasn't his radio ministry. And he said, sadly, it really wasn't even my family. But boy, what came ringing in my mind loud and clear was a verse I'd memorized years before. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. He said when the elevator opened on his floor, he said, no thanks, ladies, I've got a busy evening. And he said, I went inside my room and sat down on the edge of the bed, literally shaking. He said, but I so thanked God for the power of his word. And God's word has that kind of restraining and saving power in our lives. Fourth, I would urge you to pray daily for the filling of God's Holy Spirit. This is something that I practice every single day. Jesus told his disciples, watch and pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh, the body is weak. And I would urge you every single day to say, Lord, would you not only give me today my daily bread, but would you... Help me not to be led into temptation and deliver me from the evil one, Lord. And would you fill me afresh today with all of you. Just fill me up with your spirit so I can have an inner reinforcement against the enemy. I think another thing we can do is to know and protect our areas of weakness. Satan came to Jesus where he was most vulnerable. Now, some of you may remember years ago, I watched this show when I was growing up. It is the corniest show ever invented. You remember the show? Hee Haw. Remember that show? I mean, you talk about a corny show. And Doc Campbell on that show, someone had come up to him and go, Hey, Doc, I broke my arm in two places. What would you recommend? And Doc Campbell would say, Stay out of those places. Ha, ha, ha. Hee Haw, hee Haw. You know? 
Is that a corny joke or what? But can I say to you, some of you may have some places you just need to stay out of. If you're tempted toward compulsive gambling, you might, just a thought, might need to stay away from the track or the casino. If your intense temptation is abuse of alcohol, you might just need to stay away from the pub or the liquor store. Just an idea, just a concept, okay? If your big temptation is gossip, you might have to stay out of the teacher's lounge. Just a thought. If your big temptation is lust, you might need someone to monitor your internet usage or get one of those things that sends a report to a couple of your friends who will appropriately hold you accountable because they see every site you visit, every click you make. And they can lovingly hold you accountable and talk to you about that. The Bible warns, flee idolatry, flee sexual immorality, flee the sins of youth. Mark Twain said simply, it's a lot easier to stay out than it is to get out. And finally, I think if we're going to win a regular victory over Satan, we need to value character more than reputation. Psalm 25, verse 21 reads, May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope is in you. You say, well, pastor, what's the difference? Reputation is what other people think you are. Character is what you are way deep down inside. Or as someone said, character is what you are when no one is looking. I heard a true inspiring story It happened with a a Christian woman from Indiana named Carla Tippin. Some time back, she was walking through the airport in uh, Great Falls, Montana, and suddenly looked down and saw a huge wad of money. It was $100 bills that were kind of rolled up, several rolls of those, $100 bills, and they were all kind of bound together with rubber bands. So she picked it up off the floor and immediately looked around to see if she could see anyone who looked like they'd lost it. And there was no one around. Now, would you agree with me that's a temptation, okay? I mean, that is a temptation. And she thought, well, maybe I could just take it to one of the clerks who works here. But she thought, I don't know what would happen to it then. Because it's not marked. It has no, I don't know what would happen to it if it ever get to the right person. So she decided she'd just start walking up the hallway of the terminal there, and just literally look for anybody who looked like they might have lost it. And sure enough, she came to a particular gate where almost everybody was already on board the plane because they were in their final stage of boarding. But there was an elderly man there who was looking through his pockets and rifling through his carry-on bag, and he was almost sobbing. And she walked up and said, Sir, what's wrong? He said, oh, I've I've lost a significant amount of money and I don't know where I've put it. I can't find it anywhere. It was was $100 bills and they were wrapped in rubber bands. She said, is this what you're looking for? I said, oh, oh, man, thank you. And then he, he he just quickly, because it was the last call, he quickly hurried onto his plane and made it. And there she stood. No reward, 
No TV cameras reporting the great things she had done. No money. And some people would say, that's silly. I would say, that's character. That's turning the control over to Jesus Christ and doing it his way. Now, as we close today, I would simply close with this thought. See, my concern is that Satan's doing some whispering even right now. And I'm concerned that he's whispering one of two lies to you today, both of which are utterly, outrageously false. Number one is that sin is no big deal. Don't even blink at it. It's not a big deal. Don't be concerned. That is an absolute lie. Sin is lethal. But the other extreme lie that I'm concerned about is that you've gone beyond God's reach. Oh yeah, people can be forgiven, but not you, not what you've done. Not after all the times you've messed up and he pours the condemnation on it and he grinds you down in it until you actually begin to believe the lie that you're beyond God's grace. So while sin is tragic, I wanna leave you with this thought today. God's grace, hallelujah, is greater than all of our sin. Father, thank you for the example of Jesus that we can not only be inspired by, but learn from practically that we don't have to be get, get knocked down all the time. And Lord, when we do get knocked down, thank you that we can get back up because your grace is indeed greater than all of our sin. Thank you for your amazing love and thank you for Jesus, the incomparable leader. In Jesus' name, amen.